0: You're listening to Film School, the on-air, online source for independent film that's changing the way we look at cinema and the world. I'm Nathan Callahan.
1: I'm Mike Kaspar.
0: On this program, we'll be speaking with Jessica Oreck, the director of Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, a documentary that explores the mystery of Japan's age-old love affair with insects. You can listen to this interview, Mm -hmm. as well as interviews with Pascal Wexler, Duncan Jones, Kirby Dick, Amin Barani, Ryan Fleck, Alex Gibney, Harmony Corrine, Albert Mazels, John Sales. They've all been on Film School, right. including Guy Madden, Philip Glass, Frederick Wiseman, and many, many more. And many. You can listen to these fine interviews at FilmSchoolRadio.com. Our new documentary, Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, our guest today, Jessica Oreck, creates a meditation on nature, beauty, philosophy, and culture that explores the mystery of Japan's age-old love affair with insects. Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo won the 2009 Cinevegas International Film Festival Special Jury Prize and is nominated for this year's Independent Spirit Truer Than Fiction Award. It is also Jessica Oreck's first feature film, Jessica Oreck, welcome to Film School. Thank you. And how are you today?
2: I'm doing all right.
0: Really? Well, very good then. I mean, you should be. You've made a beautiful film. It's an award-winning film. Uh, You've just uh, won the Spotlight Award for Cinema Eye. You've been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. And uh, you've just made a fantastically crafted film. How do you account for that, being an entomologist?
2: Well, actually, I'm not technically an entomologist. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) that's <laughs> right. I um I mean, I went to school for filmmaking and biology, um, and I work as a live animal keeper. So uh, I work with bugs all the time. But I don't have a degree in entomology, well, so you, which you in have, America is restrictive. But. Uh,
0: so you went to film school where?
2: Um, I went to NYU. Uh,
0: what, did you find that uh, school to be uh, a good one?
2: No, actually.
0: (laughs) That's good to hear. A good (laughs) warning to everyone. Why is that? What didn't they teach you, or what were you looking for?
2: Well, I really, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I've always wanted to make movies about um, ethnobiology, the way that humans interact with the natural world. Uh, So I wanted to double major in biology, and I wanted to study anthropology, and I wanted, you know, I wanted this broad scope of very focused, (laughs) very focused training, uh. and they were they really wanted you know romantic comedies and you know very straightforward documentaries and I was just not interested in what they wanted me to do
0: now, now so. I read that <laughs> your, your earlier influence and, and probably still influences uh David Attenborough and the private life of plants after you saw that 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 changed your what you thought <laughs> of as documentaries is that true
2: well i had i i grew up i wanted to be an entomologist uh-huh. um but i when I did not I d I didn't I didn't watch T V, so I had never really seen a lot of nature programs and when I saw David Attenborough's Private Life of Plants, it's a very straightforward nature program, but it sort of it sort of opened my eyes and I was like, Oh, I actually don't want to spend my life in a lab. I wanna spend my life making movies about science that other people can see. Uh-huh. So it wasn't it wasn't so much that David Attenborough's filmmaking was a huge influence as much as just the ideas of behind it. The ideas of science right. filmmaking. Oh.
1: I want to ask you about another film because th- there are elements of your film that remind me of Microcosmos. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and did did that do you did you did that influence you? Or did you were you impressed as impressed with that film as I was the first time I saw it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember I watched that film not long after seeing David Ambrose's film, and I yeah, it's still one of my favorites of all time. Um, though I love also. I think more of an influence on me were, were science films by Jean penleve Levet mm. was a French filmmaker from the thirties. Um and he was sort of the first the first guy to, to be doing microscopic camera work and underwater camera work and he um he was making very experimental sort of avant garde films for the time, but they're great, really wonderful little pieces that, that I always look to for inspiration.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, how how big was your crew in making this film? How, wh- wh- who did you, what did you travel with when you went to Japan, and how did that go?
2: Um, well, it was uh, myself. I did sound, and then my boyfriend was my cinematographer. Uh, that's and Sean Williams? That's Sean Williams. Uh-huh. And um, then for the first two weeks, we were with an American entomologist, Akita Kawahara, and he sort of acted as, producer slash translator you know setting up meetings for us and stuff like that and then because he had all these connections in Tokyo um, growing up there you know as an entomologist and um, then the second four weeks we were with um, a, one of my best friends Miko Endo who just grew up in Tokyo so she, she she acted as our translator producer neither of them had ever had any experience in film so it wasn't it wasn't Always so smooth, but it was really fun and easy. Let me ask, Very you, back.
1: Let me ask you, because you, you mentioned that the, the one of the things about this film that you were hoping to, to, to put across is, and with your filmmaking in general, the human interaction with, the, with insects. Mm-hmm. And what was it about that, and then what, how did the Japanese aspect of this project come into play? How, how did you know uh, about how did you come to know about the Japanese and their fascination with insects?
2: Well, um, actually, I was, I was teacher assisting in a class at the Natural History Museum, and we had a guest speaker come in, a young woman, a Japanese woman, who talked about how growing up in Japan, everyone loved bugs. And that, just right off the bat, is a pretty bizarre statement mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for kids growing up in America. And so I was like, wow, I this is this is my calling. i got to make a movie about this. And I started doing research, and there was absolutely nothing in English. I mean, nothing in English about oh. this. Um, and so, you know, I sort of put it aside. like, Okay, this is going to be my first feature. I just have to find the right person. And two days later, absolutely out of the blue, my sister is sitting in an airport, and she hits it off with this young Japanese-American entomologist who, you know, goes around the country uh, speaking about how Japanese people love insects. And she said, well, i got to put you in touch with my sister. She's an entomologist. And we, you know, we got in touch, and I said, I think we should make a movie. And he said, cool, we'll stay at my parents' house, and I'll introduce you to all these bug people that I know in Japan. And it just, it was like the stars had aligned to make this film. I mean, it just, everything fell into place really quickly and easily. So. Well, that,
1: that, it's just, it's such a fascinating ins- insight into the Japanese culture through your film, to to find out so much more about it than I had ever known uh, about them, or wanted to know. Well, now <laughs> now what 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 is it? What is the sort of the within the Japanese culture? Can we trace back this fascination, this this interplay between insects and and humans? How far back does this go in Japanese culture and
0: literature? Well,
2: I mean, I. I I'd say it goes back all the way. I mean, even before Japan was a nation state, I think that there were certain, there were certain pieces of their, just the basic uh, sort of physiology of their country that lent them sort of a more bug-centric focus. We must look at the nature in everyday life. You know, the weather <laughs> changes rapidly, and so you must be keen. About nature here, including insects. Carefully look at nature; it's actually a way of life.
1: By the way, we're speaking with Jessica Oreck and the film is "Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo," and and people might see the poster or see a trailer. Even just seeing the trailer, you realize that this isn't just a movie about bugs crawling around and what they, do, you know, how they how they reproduce or something like that. This is this is really a, a sort of a Meditation on on what the the subjects that you're talking about the Japanese the culture the interaction and life really I mean without getting too 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 much into into it but it, it's uh, it's
0: really quite a fascinating look at it. How'd you come up with the title? Yeah,
2: um, it was sort of a, an accident actually. We um, it, w- it was like a game of telephone. You know, we told our one of our old friends this sort of failed poet in New York, and he was like, "What? It's like it's like." Queen Bee Goes to Tokyo, and someone else repeated it to us. They were like, oh, Bob said this, Bob said this, and it just went down the line until finally it was Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, and we both, my boyfriend and I both decided we were like, this is actually pretty good. We sort of like it this way, and Uh we had a really good reaction to it when we were first sort of putting the film out there, so we just left it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it it really works for the film, too, because it doesn't doesn't limit it, And, and the film is... Is nearly limitless in its its look at culture. The insects are just almost a, a an entry, a, a, a chaperone into the Japanese culture. Not so. At least that's the way I saw. At, at the other, on the other hand, though, it gave you a great appreciation for the little guys that I I don't think a lot of people have. Why do you think it is that we're uh, squeamish in Western culture about insects?
2: I think I just really think it is a learned behavior. Um, I mean, working as a docent at the American Museum of Natural History in butterflies, I see it every day. I see children run into the butterfly exhibit, you know, and just they just love the butterflies, and they're so happy. And then you watch their parents come in, and you you can just see the children watching the way their parents react and watching the way the mom ducks when a butterfly flies by. You know, and that, I mean, immediately you're telling your kid that this absolutely harmless creature, this creature that couldn't hurt, you know, anything in the world mm-hmm. is something that to be afraid of. I don't know. I think I think it's just it really is. It's it's something that we learn because I really think that kids don't like bugs. I mean, don't dislike bugs from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's something that comes later.
0: Well, it, it's such a, a a giant leap too from our culture to where we would probably tramp on a bug that would sell mm-hmm. in Japan for ten thousand dollars. Uh, yeah uh, how is it that there's that disparity what is it of value uh that the Japanese see in these bugs that they're willing to uh get <laughs> empty their pocketbook for
2: I think that there there are a lot of things there I think that for them i mean the Japanese are a collector's society uh-huh. you know they love they love to to sort of I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the, the way that they sell CDs or DVDs, you know, they have the collector's edition and then the special collector's edition and then the special, special collector's edition. And people, you know, people like to have sort of full collections of things. So I think that the bugs serve that purpose on one side. And then on the other side, I also think that they are sort of the perp- perfect representations of nature in a country where space is really at a, you know, at a premium where space is ergonomic design is is absolutely the very most important thing um i think that bugs are a really perfect little um representative for the natural world uh-huh. that they can that they can sort of bring into their everyday life
1: well in in the film once we are introduced to uh the bug collectors and then the, the there's the child who wants to buy the the beetle and all that we get to see and then we then you show us uh, the fascination with with insects in video games and in film and in just the general day to day life mm-hmm. um, of the Japanese. So it, it isn't just a sort of sideline fascination. It is it is an encompassing kind of uh, a sensibility that runs to the Japanese culture. I want to switch. Yeah. I want to switch gears here a little bit and ask you. This is your first feature. Uh, and it sounds like you were determined from a very young age to make a film. Yes. What did you find to be the most challenging aspect of your first feature film?
2: Um, that's a hard question. I mean, in terms of production, the hardest part was that I didn't understand the language. Huh. Um, that was really tough. And the certain times that we would be without a translator, or even with the translator, you know, when you're shooting... And obviously the translator can't be live translating because we're trying to get perfect sound. So, you know, Sean is just having to improvise. You know, if somebody points in one direction, he he follows the point, but he's just hoping that he's actually looking at what they're pointing at because he can't understand what they're talking about. You know, so that was was the challenge. But I think overall my biggest challenge was just um, sort of navigating the finishing of the film by myself. I mean, in film school you do a lot of, um, you know, you do a lot of production and you do a lot of, oh, okay, well, here we go. We've we've edited the film on Final Cut Pro or Avid. You know, we're done. But there's this whole other side of filmmaking where really once you finish the film, you're just only a third of the way through it. I mean, finishing the film, you know, getting getting it to, all the exhibition copies ready and applying to festivals and finding a distributor and a sales agent and a publicist. I mean, that stuff was just stuff I had never even thought about. So I dove into that really quite quite backwards, I think. <laughs> um, so well, that, that was my biggest challenge.
1: Now, going into the – by the way, we're speaking with Jessica Ulrich. The film is Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo. Did uh, you – now, Sean Williams, your, your cinematographer, um, mm-hmm. has done a number of films. He's shot a number of films. Yes. Uh, was he able to kind of help you navigate this? Did you sort of sit down and, and map out, here are the festivals we're going to try and get in, sort of lay out the, the next year of your life in a way for what you're going to have to do in order to get the film out there? And what was the initial reaction uh, when you went into the the, the film festival uh, circus?
2: Um, well, Sean actually had never, because he's really mostly on the production side, the only other, other time that we'd ever... He'd ever really dealt with this is for the the film right before Beetle uh, Queen uh, that he shot called Frownland, Ronnie Bronstein's Frownland, which had played at South by Southwest um, two years previous to mine, and so South by Southwest was sort of the only film festival that I apply, you know, that I really thought about because that was the only one I'd ever had any experience with, yeah. um, and same with Sean, so we, um, so that was that was about as far as, as his help went, I have to yeah. say, yeah, okay, so. but. Yeah.
0: So he was but worthless, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
2: wouldn't go that. Either,
1: well, what was it like? So you, so you, you sent out your applications, and and you got responses. I mean, you sent the film along, and obviously you did well. You've you've won an, a number of awards. You were obviously in a number of film festivals. So that must have been very reassuring to you to get this kind of reaction from these people at these festivals.
2: Yeah, it. You know, it was. At first, and then I sort of realized how arbitrary the whole thing is, and it made it feel a little bit less real um, just it really becomes about who you know and and you know who else has seen your film and where what other festivals it's played at instead of it instead of films getting in really on the merit because i mean there's so many film festivals, and there's so many films it's it really is impossible for the programmers to watch everything, you know, so they end up handing it off to these screeners, and the screeners may you know have have no film experience. And I don't know. It seems it seems like sort of a strange a strange situation. I'm very grateful to be a part of it, but I also I I feel like there's some there's some flaws with the festival world that that it's they're hard to get around. I don't I don't know what the answer is. I, I
1: yeah, I don't know what the other I don't know what the alternative to film festivals is. It seems that a lot more, of. More theaters? More theaters, <laughs> a better educated audience, maybe yeah. a more discerning audience would would help. But given mm-hmm. the glut of films, the ability now with people to make films with the, your Final Cut and your digital camera, there's just so many out there. And it does afford people like you and I and, and Nathan an opportunity to see films that we know are never going to end up on the multiplexes in, you know, downtown you know, L- Los Angeles, these are films that will speak, uh, all, by their nature, they'll be seen by a more select audience, uh, mm-hmm. but it does give us that opportunity. And a film like yours uh, obviously did well. You've been nominated for a number of awards, and uh, uh, that must have been very uh, gratifying to see that happen.
2: Yeah, I, I still sort of, I mean, I, we just won the Cinema Eye this past weekend, and I still am sort of like, I can't believe I won an award. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting, but... Yeah, and we are actually going to be playing in theaters. Um, we just signed with a distributor called Argo Pictures, and we're going to be opening at Film Forum in New York in May. All right. That's pretty exciting. For yeah, that's
0: too. that's real exciting. I, to <laughs> me, I I don't know, having having not been either either in a film festival or had a motion picture screen, it would seem that actually getting distribution would be more gratifying in the long term than winning an arbitrary award and.
2: It does it does feel very yeah it's very exciting.
0: Yeah you're on you're on the you're on the inside now or you're, you you have a track rather than just a you know a one time showing somewhere it's yeah, a and right. it's 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 a wonderful wonderful film there's one character in there um that I was fascinated with he's the uh, the uh, bug guy that just goes in and catches bugs uh who drives a ferrari Yeah now hero
2: yes Yes I how how
0: did you run into him and and know, uh, and does he do this every day? Does he go out into the forest and collect <laughs> bugs every day?
2: Well, the bug season there is very, very short. Okay. You know, it's just really June to August. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't do it every day, but during the summer he does it often. Uh-huh. Um, and he was actually a good friend of Akito's, you know, the, the, the um, Japanese-American entomologist that we first uh-huh. went with. Um, and Akito was the one that introduced us to many of the characters. The young the young boy in the film, Yu, um, is actually also um related to akito i think it's his sister's boyfriend's nephew or something like that so all of all of the people that you see are are um m- most of the people you see are somehow connected to akito which i think sort of ties it all together very nicely on on my end mm-hmm. um sort of in my mind it, it's it's this this thing that revolves around this this very specific entomological group of people well
0: uh that fellow seemed to be, you know, the business end. Uh, he, he was seemed to be focused on possessions and his Ferrari yeah. and making a living. <laughs> and on on the other hand, you introduce a concept and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. But is it uh, Mano No Alari? Yeah, that
2: was yeah, pretty good. Which, which
0: is <laughs> well, you say it then.
2: <laughs> no, 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 that, I'm, <laughs> that was okay. It was, it was all good. right, all right.
0: Yeah. Well, good then. Uh, is that? Uh, th- that's almost the complete opposite of what the the bug catcher was doing in in that this is a contemplative uh philosophy w- which accentuates transience and the beauty of transience. do I get that right mm. yeah.
2: yeah yeah sort of the, the encompassing of the beauty of transience i mean the the beauty that it is transient um yeah. which including sort of the sadness that 's felt when it when it dies away yeah. um yeah, it's, it, I feel like there are a lot of sort of those dichotomies in the film. I mean, besides the fact that so much of, of the bug world now is commercially driven, um, and then you have these con- these basic philosophical concepts that I think that the Japanese adhere to sort of on an unconscious level. But you also have this idea that, you know, people... Well, I mean, and I guess it has to do with the commercialism of it. But, you know, people are collecting these insects and keeping them in cages or, you know, killing them to put them in part of their collection. Yeah. And it it has it has a weird sort of moral elasticity. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's hard to sort of put your finger on about where um you know, where where you draw the line in, in how how much do they really appreciate these creatures and how much of it is.
0: Well, that's funny. I was wondering that exact same thing, and I didn't know how to broach the subject. But in <laughs> some ways, uh, it, it seems that a lot of the public that's collecting these, and within the commercialization of, of the bug culture, it's taken away some of the mononowari. It's taken away yeah. that appreciation of beauty and turned it in, into more of a little... Um, spectacle or or a, a video game rather than something that is uh can is ephemeral you know that can just disappear mm-hmm. in an instant uh, th- am i getting that right
2: yeah absolutely yeah. um and it's i mean it, it's it's something that i'm interested in playing with in that i i really like the idea of of people being able to watch a film and the first time being like wow you know this is what a philosophical, amazing experience that I just had, and you know the Japanese have this amazing reaction, and then, and then watching it a second time and being like, well, hmm, you know, I wonder how does this actually, you know, play out physically yeah. in their lives. Um, I, I I I like the idea that that it's not as neat as as you first think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Not as clean, but but it it's a problem for me also because I want it to be neat and clean. I want it. I want <laughs> philosophies to be true um so yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic i think well i
1: think that's uh, i think that's all, um, you're in a manner of speaking at the beginning of the film you're reinforcing some perceptions we have of the japanese and this sort of you know perfect purification of japanese essence i think there's a line that i i wrote down from the film that and then as the film progresses as nathan pointed out it becomes less and less so it, mm-hmm. as you, as you move forward uh, with the film and the perception within the Japanese culture. Of, and maybe at one time it was more that way, but as you've introduced as they've introduced money uh, and press and sort of the collectability of these bugs into the equation, it's become less and less that way. And and mm-hmm. uh, in that in your film, ja- uh, Be- Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, walks us all through that that mm-hmm. entire discussion, that sort of dynamic.
0: In the end, though, I got—I've had to say that the film is beautiful. The, the <laughs> film—the film is not uh, it, in and of itself uh, represents the the, the beauty of, of of the subject that you're talking yeah. about. So, uh, you know, <laughs> congratulations! Yeah, congratulations on that. On that. <laughs> What's up next for you?
2: Um, I have a bunch of projects in the works that I'm very excited for. Um, one of them is about mushroom hunting in Eastern Europe, um, sort of like Beetle Queen using this very particular cultural phenomenon as a sort of as a pretext to talk about um, the role of the forest in war-torn countries, the way that in our imagination and in our childhood Uh in fairy tales, the forest is this deep, dark, scary place with big, bad wolves and witches. But in war-torn countries, in places where there's social unrest and political upheaval, there's, you know... The forest becomes a safe haven. The forest becomes a place where people go to find nourishment and to find shelter, and oh. to sort of free their ideas. I mean, in this very sort of essential sense of liberty. Um, and I just, I think it's a, it's a really interesting shift in perspective that I want to explore with the next one. So, well, it's, right. before we look, well, All that's right. great. Sounds, that's, sounds wonderful.
1: Yeah, that really sounds like a, a great subject. Uh, I want to remind our listeners: we're speaking with Jessica Warwick The film is Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo, but. The the website is beetlequeen.com.
0: And it's a great website. You yeah. ought to go there. Uh, anyone listening ought to go to beetlequeen.com because uh, who put that together for you, too? I'm just curious. It's a nice-looking website. I go to Thank a lot you. of movie websites, and and they sometimes don't reflect the film very well. And this one, it's easy to navigate. It, it, it's a, a, you know, it just has all the information there. So they should be congratulated along with us. Good
2: job! I actually designed it myself. Oh Thank really? You. All right.
0: Well, great job well, then. Just when can
1: just I buy see. my Beetle Queen uh, T-shirt? I was, you beat me to it. I want to know where I can get my Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo T-shirt. That's uh, what we uh, really right. want to know.
2: We're actually launching the site, uh, the shop, next week. So all right, Next cool. week, if you visit Beetle Queen, co- BeetleQueen.com, dot right. com, you'll be able to buy T-shirts, soundtracks, cool. posters, all sorts of
0: good stuff. N- now we're getting commercialized, though. There we go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, we're on the subject of Monterey, right, let me just say. Yeah. Well. Jessica, thank you so much for for being here in Film School, and and congratulations on a wonderful film. Good luck at the uh, at the uh, film festivals that are coming up, and I I hope even though even though winning awards isn't as satisfying as making a wonderful film, I hope you win them all because it's a great film. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> all right, Jessica Orec, the film is Beetle Queen Conquers Tokyo. Thank you for being a part of Film School.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: There we go. There we go. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and she was uh, prior to uh, coming on the air. She was expressing some reservations. She might well, be nervous. She knew and, that you
0: and I were going to interview her. Well, that was probably. I would have a reservation if, if I knew I such so. a thing but, was about to happen. Uh,
1: she did a great job, and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun, especially uh, one of the great things about getting to do film school is we often talk to people who are doing their first film. Yeah, and there is there is a we've at least for me it's just it's great to see. Someone, this is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, I didn't even get do. a chance
0: to talk to her uh, just a little bit about it right now. The sound on this, yeah, she did, is incredible. Yeah, I, she. Uh, oftentimes, you get into movies, and you know they want to fill up every space with something that is is telling you what's happening. And and there's a lot of nice silence in this mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> a lot of quiet moments, mm-hmm. and then a lot of sounds where you're really not concentrating exactly what you're hearing for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until it becomes apparent and you're, you move into the scene it's just a just a really wonderful mysterious film and it's uh kind of hard to believe she's a first timer yeah to tell you the truth yeah.
1: you've been listening to film school for more information and archived interviews go to filmschoolradio dot
2: com